0: If you're not ready to change gear neurologically, this podcast is not for you. These particularly challenging times can actually be seen as a life-giving opportunity for expansion, disguised as an impossible situation. As we grow into our own wholeness through this global great awakening, we are more aware than ever that we are all one. Join with us to raise the collective consciousness, whole and one. You've got this. Here's your host, Sheila E. Herine.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to Hole and One with Sheila. You're tuned to Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And the objective of this particular series of podcasts is to introduce you to a variety of people and ideas that will bring you ever closer to mind-derived health optimization. To that end... This light-bearing series of radio shows aims to teach you how to manage your self-talk, build a healthy relationship with anxiety, and rewrite your narrative. Tell yourself that different story. It's just like doing a bicep curl for your brain. So how exactly do we propose to enlighten our listenership to these nuggets for wellness, I hear you ask? Well, simply through storytelling and story sharing. Stories heal. Join us weekly to hear the stories of love, wisdom and truth that have completely changed the lives of our specially selected guests. Listen out for your story in ours. And remember, guys, nothing has any meaning except the meaning that you give it. We're joined on today's show by Keith Walsh. Keith is best known as an Irish radio DJ, previously presenting on Spin 1038, on RTE 2FM on Saturdays and Sundays, and really became a household name during his time spent as lead anchor on RTE 2FM's early morning programme, Breakfast Republic, with Bernard O'Shea and Jennifer Zamparelli. In an emotional social media post labelled Time to Say Goodbye, very recently, Keith announced his plans to move on. Since then, he has done two marathons, travelled to Kenya, Palestine, Malawi. He has done TV shows. He's been acting and he's written a play. He also has done a podcast entitled Talk About Therapy. Keith, you are very welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Sheila. It's great to be here.
1: Great to chat. So, Keith, you need no introduction to your Irish audience by any stretch of the imagination. But for the purpose of our listenership, further afield, can you give us a little introduction to the person behind the presenter?
2: Ooh, that's difficult. Who am I? Um, I'm. I, I. I don't know. I feel like I was many different people down through the years. Uh, I feel like like I'm a different person now to the person who, you know, in my twenties, set off around the world with my then girlfriend, now wife. I'm a different person to the person who came back. I'm a different person to the one who started out on radio. My first radio job was with the youth radio station in Dublin called Spin 1038. I did the breakfast show there for five years with my friend, Joe. And I moved on then to work on other radio stations, setting up by radio, presenting the breakfast show for them for a couple of years, back to Dublin to work with a radio station called Phantom, part of the Communicore group. I was the program director and then breakfast presenter and then ultimately onto national radio uh, with 2FM in RTE where I presented that for five years with Burn and Jen, did a bit of TV, made some documentaries, did a bit of traveling. Uh, I, I am, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of things and it's interesting because I did so much in my, you know, I sort of, I always say I was, I'm a late starter because like a lot of my early 20s was spent drinking, uh, hanging around, uh, clubbing. Um, I didn't start in radio till my late twenties. I it took me a long time to find myself and and to be honest with you, uh I, I, I sort of I sort of on a success and career front, you might say I achieved a lot between the age of 30 and 40 something. But I'm amazed by the amount I've achieved in the last year and a half, two years in comparison. you know. Um, I'm originally from the Midlands. Uh, my, both my parents from Kenny, My We moved to Lanesbroad, then Athlone, then to Newbridge, and I've spent uh, most of my time since then in Newbridge. I settled down with, with Suzanne, my wife, and we've two kids here in Newbridge. So that kind of gives you hopefully an idea of who I am and where I come from, maybe surface.
1: It sure does. I'm so interested to know that you are aware of the fact that you have become a different person throughout all of those chapters of your life, Keith. Because I myself, we chatted before we began recording about the difference in you, even in the last couple of months since the last time that we spoke, and you have really come into your own, your blossoming, your loving life. It's evident to everybody from afar. Although I know we can't profess to know the person really behind the facade on social media. However, the impression, uh, at least, is one of a much lighter-minded and um, happier person. When I see you doing your TikTok with your daughter and presenting your carding with Keith, less, um, I think, carrying less baggage. Would I be right in saying that, Keith?
2: It's It's funny. It's funny and interesting. I was always, always searching for something. Always. Like, it was you know, new people, uh, in my twenties, it was like new bars, new nights out, new people, new clubs, new, you know, what's the next thing? What's the, let's go to London. Let's go traveling. Let's, you know, where's the, where am I? You know, I mean, I, I I was quite, I suppose I was young enough and I realized that while we were traveling, I kind of figured out, look, it doesn't matter where you go. Even if the sun is shining, you're still yourself. You know, you can't, you know, you can't find your, you won't find yourself on an Island off the coast of Malaysia but and 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 then i was searching i suppose after that like you know for a career for a, a for a space for me like where was my success where 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 did i belong what was my you know what was i meant to be doing what am i sure. here for you know um and that, and i and i suppose i looked to radio and television and and acting and and all that kind of stuff for that and and it's only it's only recently when i started looking inside and not outwardly that I've figured that it clicked, you know? Um, And that's been the most amazing thing for me that I had it all. It's all here. It's all here in this house that I live in with my wife and my kids and I have it all. I just couldn't see it or, you know, I was looking in the wrong places. I was looking outwardly and I needed to, I talk a lot recently About self love, and that was that's a hard thing for a man to say, yeah. But that was that was the key before I got to that key. I had I needed another key which I got through therapy, and the key word for me in therapy was vulnerability. Once I heard that word, vulnerability, and my therapist Luke, who I work with still, explained what it meant to me because I didn't really understand. Vulnerability for me unlocked everything. It just opened everything up for me because I, I suddenly, once I started understanding that what other people required of me was honesty sure. and for me to be real, the people, my wife, my, my children, you know, the world, they just wanted me to be, what do they want from me? That was always my question. What do you want from me? I'm a people pleaser, you know. I'm trying to give you what you want. What do you want? What is it? Where, you know, where do you... And I'm doing that for every person separately. You know, yeah. every person I meet, I'm trying to, you know, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want. I'll, you know, I'll be passive. And it was only when I, under, when, I when I figured out that it, it was, that people just wanted me to be real. They didn't want me to be passive. They wanted me to be direct, and tell them what I was and what I wanted. And and that's when things started clicking for me. But 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 the key was, well, first of all, was therapy. Then it was the word vulnerability. And then once once I understood vulnerability, it just, you know, just opened up, you know.
1: Amazing. Vulnerability is definitely the birthplace of creativity and innovation, isn't it? You know, when you're willing to just be who you are and stop looking for your next high and stop, as you say, using everything exogenous on the outside to find your peace and your tranquility instead, just to realize that you have it all going on, find your wholeness find your wholeness, which is what this whole series of podcasts is about, Keith, helping people to find their wholeness. And when they do, then to connect with the universal one, because we are all one. And that's the beautiful way as well. If we are going to reach to the outside, that we reach from that perspective, from a place of wholeness to connect, to see how then we are part of this beautiful experience that we call earth, a little piece, finding a little piece of heaven on earth every day. So Keith, uh, when you found your word vulnerability and that experience in therapy, it was something that you wanted to share with the world at large, wasn't it? You were so excited about it that you did your live Instagram uh, just to explain to people, listen, this is great tack. You've got to get on board. This The train has left the station and come on, lads, there's loads of seats. So how did you go about doing that? And who, who picked you up and um, scaled it up for you? A, a particular company got on board, didn't they?
2: Well, actually, I... I was preparing, my sister actually had asked me to talk about something for International Men's Health Day in her, they were doing something where she worked and she said, would you come in and talk to them? And she said, I don't know why, <laughs> she didn't really, I hadn't really spoken to her much about therapy or anything. And, and she said, well, can you come in and talk, give a talk? They just need a man in to talk about, you know, mental health or whatever. And and I had been doing a bit of work on vulnerability with Luke and, and I thought, well, okay, this is an opportunity for me to to talk uh, and be vulnerable and tell the truth. And I sat down to write it and I'm not a, I try and write. I'm not a great writer. I'm better, I'm better verbally. I'm better talking and better, you know, I'm a better listener than I am a writer. So I sat down and I said, I'm going to put my phone on Instagram, stick it on live and then talk as I intend to talk tomorrow and just see what happens. So it will be, straight from the horse's mouth, straight from my heart. This is what I'm thinking. And I just did it as a sort of a, that was my way of writing my talk the next day. And I just stuck it up on Instagram. Um, and yeah, it was like, it's funny because the, vulnerab- the vulnerability thing, I was like, I was buying into that. You know, this is something, but it's straight away. As soon as I said something real, to other people now, it was through social media. But as soon as I bared my soul, told my truth, that was it. It just kind of exploded sure. in 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 the country of Ireland, and people became interested in. I wanted to tell people about therapy and how great it was, and like you know, I, I had to deal with my own traumas, and I wasn't, and then I was, and and it's great, and I was like, it's like sort of just. I'm the type of person that you know, uh, if I if I discover acupuncture you know uh i have a friend who does acupuncture and you know for the next few months i was like you have to try acupuncture it's amazing it got rid of my shingles honest to god you know and that's all i'll talk about so with therapy i was the same i was like this is like this is you know saint paul on the road to damascus this is like you know the this the, the whatever had fallen away from my eyes um and i just really wanted to tell people about it and that's what i did um and it was I, I got a huge reaction.
1: It was so meaningful. And then you went and you did the more structured set of programs where you actually were filmed going to see your therapist and chatting with him and explaining the whole process. So taking the fear out of it for anybody who might feel... They'd like to do it, but they don't understand exactly what's in it and how much would they be asked and how much would it cost? And, you know, I suppose taking the prohibitive reasons out of the scenario so that we might open this up to more people.
2: Yeah. So um, a PR company in in Dublin, I think the the girls are from, uh, if you want to follow her, uh, PR Pam on Instagram. uh, They have a couple of companies, but they got in touch with me and said, look, would you, we'd like to film this and put it up on social media. Uh, or, or they didn't. They weren't really sure what it was. And so we'd like to do something with you. And I said, well, let's try and take away the mystique of of uh, therapy, and let's let's film me, in my in, getting in my car, going to therapy, and explaining what exactly happens when you get there, because people think it's like. I'm sure people are more enlightened now, but people, a lot of people do think it's like men in white coats, and you know. Are you going to end up in a straitjacket and are they going to you know attach electrodes to your head if you're not, you know, if your if your brain is broken? And you know, there, there's still all that mystique about it. And and I was trying to say, look, this guy that I go to see is Luke, he wears a jumper and jeans. He sits on one side of the room, I sit on the other side, and we just chat, you know, and just to make it as normal as possible. And that's always my 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 goal is to just make have therapy as part of the conversation, like like the word gym has become very much part of the conversation, like the you know, you're not you're not an egypt if you go running anymore everybody runs whereas you know in the 80s you might have been like your man's into running and jogging what a weirdo you know that's where ireland was at the time and i'd like therapy all that kind of stuff to be just a normal part of the conversation without someone thinking because i do get people saying oh it's very brave of you to be talking about mental health you know i have experience of mental health because my brother had mental health problems and i'm like Hang on a second. You also have mental health. Everybody has mental health. It's not like your man down the road has mental health. This is like that's like saying your man down the road has physical health. Mental health is something that we all have to look at. And it's everything. It's how well you sleep and how do you interact with your family? Are you exercising? How is your eating? How is your that's you know, that's it's as much part of of physical health as mental. health. It's everything. It's everything. Yeah. And it's every day. And you have to work at it. And you've got to put in a bit of effort. And if you can't put in the effort, that's a red flag. Do you know what I mean? If you can't, and that's, so So nobody's here to, no one wants to point the finger. But if you feel like you genuinely can't do the exercise, get your fresh air, get your vitamin D, eat properly, you know, then that's a red flag. you got to go, okay, there's something not right here. I need to, for me, it was past traumas I hadn't dealt with, you know, so I was... Looking in the wrong places I was avoiding the, the elephant in the room as it were you know um, so for me and making those videos is great because that's available on my YouTube you can go and watch it I'm Keith Walsh on YouTube not the skateboarder there's another Keith Walsh from Dublin who's a famous skateboarder who's excellent he will also have videos there I'm a little bit older and not as cool but Keith, <laughs> for Keith Walsh on YouTube there's not a huge amount of videos there, but there are there is that series of video and there is that initial Instagram uh chat, live chat is there on my YouTube. And I have a series of four videos about mental health. And then we went on to make a video about t- how to talk to somebody about uh suicide. If there's somebody that you think might be uh-huh. thinking about suicide, how to talk to that person. And I made that sp- that was Luke's words. Luke is a trained therapist. Uh-huh. He sort of said can you do this for me? Yeah. The same company got involved again and we filmed a little instruction videos how to talk to somebody if you think that they might be thinking about suicide and mm. that's all there as well
1: and it's so helpful keith because you make it so real your live instagram is extremely gripping i think from the initial stages basically because you make it look like now i know that you're more proficient than this in general but you're trying you're allowing Uh, everybody to come on board from the point of view of you saying as if you were reading the instructions on I'm so you are about to make a live video you know something to this effect and it's so lovely and that's actually the point I think where you sit back in your chair and you say hang on a second I'm going to have a listen to this you know this is somebody real and then the content is just absolute gold dust because it hits on all of those basic emotional needs that we all have that have to be met in balance for us to be mentally well. But you do lean into that concept of us having an innate GPS, uh, emotional resources as well, inherent resources that we can use to reach out into the environment, to get the nutriment that we need, to have our emotional needs met in balance and so it's it's a very balanced presentation and all of your videos are they're very real very credible and therefore i think very accessible to all the language uh, there's no psychobabble the language is credible and we can trust it and believe it from the outset so when you went on then keith to chat at a later i i heard you chatting about your um your play which Mm. you've written so you alluded there to the fact that you're not a great writer I contest that Mr (laughs) Walsh not the skateboarder because you've written this amazing play and you're now going to be able to take this play on the road after Covid am I right?
2: Yeah totally and and the play came from I mean this is this is like this is what I'm saying about vulnerability about being real about you know even doing that Instagram post you know I was in the moment I was just speaking from my heart I wasn't worried about what people thought, you know, my P's and Q's. I wasn't I wasn't a trained therapist. I was just talking about my experience, and that's all people ever want. And the play kind of came from that, in that a lot of the work I did on myself involved journaling and writing. So Luke very early sort of said to me, "What? how are you with writing? And I was like, well, I've written the odd article. I'm not sure, I, you know, whatever. I enjoyed it in school, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, would you try and do a bit of writing? Like, what about some journaling in the morning? You know, I was like, I'll give it a go. And he gave me a book called The Artist's Way. And I read that and I followed the journal. And I found myself writing three fool's cap of nonsense every day. And I signed up to a creative writing course uh, to sort of, just to give me a note like the, I was journaling i was my my, my style of journal is just to write i i don 't even use any grammar you know i don't even dot my eyes i just it's just vomit onto a page you know and i decided well it it had been something you, see, you know you know people say we have two lives, we have our life, and then we're, the life we wish we were le- leading, and they started like joining at some point where I started saying. Actually, I will do that creative writing course that I wanted to do. Yeah. I gave myself the permission to do it or whatever. So I start. I did a creative writing course. And over the course of a few weeks doing that, I wrote some short stories. I wrote my stories. I wrote all these, you know, you'll know very well that we have all these stories in our heads, whether they're true or not, whether they're factually correct or what, you know, but there are stories. And the most important thing for me was to take these out of my head and put them down on a page and look at them and turn the page over and examine them and rewrite them. And, you know, once they were out of my head and on the page, they were sort of like, you know, I felt a lot better. I was, I don't things sure. that, you know, it just helped me, you know, it helped me access my emotions again and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'd written a series of short stories. I had an idea that I wanted to do something live on stage with them, whether it be like, just read them out to a live audience I didn't really know, but I contacted a friend of mine, Janet Morn, who is a very well-known Irish actor, uh, had started directing, was writing as well. and And I went to college with her. I actually studied acting somewhere back during my early 20s. That blur, I can't quite remember it, but it happened. There was two years where I studied acting and then, you know, didn't follow it through because I didn't have the wherewithal to do it. At the time, but I I contacted Janet. I said, "Look, here's some stories I've written. What do you think? What can I do? Is there anything I can do with these that that would work in a theatre or a live?" And she said, "Look, I think there's a play here. Would you be interested in?" And I and like Janet has been like a godsend, like a guardian angel, like just sent to me. And uh, we worked together. She helped me with my writing. She helped me form the play. She directed it for me. We. During the first lockdown, uh, when everything was closed, we went into the theatre and performed a work in progress of half the play. It's called Pure Mental. Um, you can't see it online at the moment because we, we did have it up there. About four thousand people watched it, which was amazing. We took it down because we wanted to go. We're hoping to tour it now. Um, but yes, yeah, so during so during the first lockdown, uh, I went into the Newbridge Arts Centre, the Riverbank, and. We performed half it and uh, it was the most amazing thing. I mean, I, like I can't even now believe that it happened. Well, I can, but it's like it really, I really learned so much from doing that because I learned a lot about trusting a process and your process can be anything, but it's all about taking the next step and worrying about the next step after. Don't worry about the next, just take the next step. The other step will look after itself. So for me, it started with going to Luke. It started with vulnerability. It started with the next step was to do a bit of writing. The next step was the writing course. The next step was to contact Janet. The next step, nobody at any point said to me, by this time next year, you will be live on this stage performing in front of 4,000 people with a play and all these people will be, there'll be a lighting technician and he'll be doing a job and he'll be paid to do it and the, your, your face will be on the stage behind you. And you're going to have to learn off all the script because that would have, I would have been terrified. Daunted you, yes. I would have never put pen to paper if someone said that that's how it was going to work out. But because it was gradual in the process, by the time it happened, I was ready for it. Sure, because I went through all the steps, and you have to go through all the steps, and then don't rush it. But you, but when when I, I just I kept saying to people, I can't believe we've. I was on the stage, and as I said, like people were being paid to be part of this production. This is during lockdown when nobody's getting paid to perform, and I was like, but this is just stuff that. I wrote uh, that started with me looking at a blank page Mm. and now there's, I'm looking around and there's Janet, the director and there's Phil the technician and there's this guy over here and this guy over here. And there's a lighting design and there's a set design. And I could, I could, I was fascinated with the fact that we, we just, we imagined this and we uh, manifested.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Literally from nothing.
1: Yeah. Your vibrational offering into the universe was coming right back at you exactly as you had delivered it though, Keith. And everything does happen in the right time, place and sequence. And just listening to you, I'm, I'm breathing in your um, your de vivre, even as you tell it myself because it's so lovely and so encouraging to realize that in a way um, you've ended up right back where you began. So you've done your acting course, all those years ago. Now, you mentioned you didn't have the wherewithal. I don't know whether you meant um, whether or not you could resource it financially or as a person, you weren't ready to invest further in it, probably a combination of all of the above. But T.S. Eliot speaks about this as well, where very often we get back after a meandering journey to exactly where we began and we see it from a totally different perspective and it all makes complete sense. And I just think that is so encouraging for everybody listening to realize, listen, the blueprint of authentic you is in there. It's not gone anywhere. You've come through certain periods of uncertainty where your confidence will have been affected. And absolutely, as you say, Keith, you know, sub-threshold trauma from our life heretofore can hold us back, but only until we address it. It doesn't need to hold us back forever. When we address it, we can match then uh, the authentic blueprint of us with our desired life. And it can happen, just like you say. And I love the way you changed your language. I think you were about to say out of habit and practice, I couldn't believe. And then you turned it and you said, it was fascinating. So mm-hmm. that's that's part of how you manifested it at this time in your life. Because your brain doesn't know the difference between what you think into reality and what is reality. And there is a frequency, like you know, you're the radio guy. So there's, there's nonverbal language on the frequency that you're emitting. And when you're able to catch that uh, that nanosecond between emotion and thought to have an effect on the action I think that's when you get it out of the vortex and into the bank or off the page and up on the stage mm. and it, it, to me it's so exciting because I'm at a new space in my life as well and I'm dreaming up all those design plans to get on a stage and um, to do some TV work and some acting as well and when I can hear your story because stories heal. We need to tell our stories from a very positive perspective to share with each other. We're we're all the same, really. Mm. We're all the same. And it's lovely to know that you could come from that very busy, very visible career have a little period of downtime which probably wasn't so healthy in the beginning because I think you felt a little bit um kicked back would I be right maybe a little bit yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit hurt mm-hmm. you, you you had said you'd had a fabulous time uh, where you were and it served you well but there's that little period of of hurt when you're wondering where do I go now who am I now if I'm not that
2: yeah like I spent five years for anybody outside of Ireland I spent five years uh presenting you know the breakfast show and that's f- the type of radio presenter I was like to present that breakfast show on 2FM that was kind of the pinnacle of, you know I'd reached I'd never really thought I'd get there but I did and we had five great years doing that um you know the usual ups and downs but you know it's 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 tough to to to, to do a five-year stint on the national breakfast show um but we we, we did and we pulled it off and we put a lot of effort and work into it. And for me, probably I put effort and work into it um, and other things probably suffered outside of my work. So this became the most important thing because this job was paying the mortgage. This job was, you know, giving us the money we needed to do the things we wanted to do. And I was very important. You know, my I suppose it's an ego thing. I needed to, you know, make sure that I was... Uh, whatever I needed to be to do this job. And that meant the family life suffered. And, you know, I, you know, I, I made sacrifices for this job. So when it was taken away and when the powers that be decided, look, that's thanks for the five years. That was great. This, th- this happens all the time, you know, in radio TV, it's not something that I, you know, there's no blame game here. It's just, it happens. It was probably the right decision for them, but you, you, And I understood that, but I could not, I found it difficult to deal with the rejection because ultimately, rightly or wrongly, whether it's the right decision for them, whether it's the right thing for the market at the time or whatever it was, I still felt personally rejected, like, we don't need you anymore. Thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. And also annoyed probably with myself, if I look at it, for making so many sacrifices for this thing that was just taken away from me by somebody else. And, not, and you've got a lot of things wrapped up in that, like rejection, but also control. And I, I suppose part of me, the man in me, was like, well, I'm not letting that happen again. I'm not giving total control to somebody else ever again. You know, So you kind of have that reaction as well. But my decision... My decision to go to therapy was a very, very practical decision. Like it was a very, like for any man listening to this, it it can be a practical decision. That's fine. It doesn't have to be an emotional decision. It doesn't have to be a spiritual decision. If you, I was thinking, okay, I'm facing into a year, a year now, maybe what I didn't know how long it was going to be until I, until what? My next job. I, I didn't, I had a bit of time. I had a bit of space. I kind of, had a little bit of money so I wasn't too worried. But what was I gonna do with it? And I needed to make sure that I was the best version of myself for when the next thing came along, when the next job came along. What was it gonna be? And was I needed to be ready to take that job and do and I needed to be the best version of myself. But I also wanted to be the best version of myself for my family. You know, I wanted I wanted everything and the practical decision I made was to get my head looked at sure. Be- because I was quite good at my nutrition. I was quite good with my exercise and all that kind of stuff, but I'd never really looked under the bonnet or, you know, I, you know, I'd never done that work on myself and my head. And I knew there was things I needed mm-hmm. to deal with. So that was kind of like, well, I'm not leaving it to chance. I'm going to go into a therapist. He's going to tell me how to deal with everything. Yeah. He's, going to, he's going to fix it for me. And that was the practical decision. I'll go to him. He knows everything. He'll fix it for me. I won't have to do anything. Just show up. Um, so it was a very practical decision. It was kind of like something my wife had seen me struggling and was like, would you not consider therapy? And I was like, actually, that's a really good idea. Yeah, because then I'll have all the bases covered. Brilliant. Good job. <laughs> you know, yeah. but a very man decision, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: So we we would call it uh, in the profession, we would call it borrowing a brain. So when you're in your limbic system, in your emotional system, and you really can't see the wood for the tree. So you were hurt after that experience, albeit that you're aware it happens and it's just life and you've got to get on with it in that space, you were stuck in your emotional brain. So when you go to a therapist, and you have the brain spew, you just let it all out. And you let him make sense of it. What happens is you borrow a brain and you can access your thinking brain then again, so you get some objectivity. Like you said, when you wrote your story, the story of your life in your fabulous play, you were able to then be the observer Of this story, and so with that little bit of objectivity, you don't need to let it hurt you, let it define you. Already, you're telling yourself that different story, and you're allowing all of the things that hurt you in the past facilitate you into the future. Mm. So it's a wonderful use of resources.
2: And that's a very good point you make there, because I was also determined to turn this disappointment into an opportunity. Rightly or wrongly, I could see an opportunity in this. I could see an opportunity to tell this story. I knew people would be interested. Here's a guy who we, we listened to on the radio who had a good job, who did this, it All got ta- his legs were taken up from him. how did he deal with it? And if I could tell people that story, it might help other people deal with it. And that was probably quite a practical decision initially as well, because I was like, okay, this, there's something interesting in this that other people will be interested in.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and that's what led to pure mental... The play, which which we end up getting funding from the Arts Council to tour in November and uh, December. So if you're in Ireland, November December, we'll be coming to a theatre near you. If you're somewhere else around the world, give me a shout. We'll come to we'll come to wherever you are. We'll, that's we'll arrange fabulous. it.
1: Fabulous! So you'll be. Tr- oh, that's amazing! So hmm. we'll actually once the theatres open up, we'll actually be able to go and see it. And I'm sure then, maybe for a more global audience, I'm sure eventually when you've toured it, Keith, it probably will be accessible to buy online. I'm sure you know, given that everything is virtual and available remotely now. I'm sure eventually when you've tired it out, when when the wagons have stalled this side yeah. of the pond, I'm sure.
2: At some stage, hopefully. Like I mean there's 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 I've been thinking about things like Edinburgh and but we'll get the we'll get the you know the the Irish tour done first. Under the and, belt, and then amazing. See what happens after that. But yeah, the sky's the limit, you know. Um so
1: sky but, is the limit. Keith, wet our appetites. Tell us what's in the play. Pure mental.
2: Like if I was to give you the elevator pitch, it's like, you know, um when something terrible happens to a man in his forties. How does he deal with it? And how does he overcome that to, to get to a point where he could move on from it, a better person? So it's like, I've started writing a book that I'm struggling with at the moment, but you know, we get there and the idea for the book is sort of jumping from the, from the play into a book where it's more like an instruction manual. When you hit the midlife crisis age, when something bad happens here are the steps you need to take that will get you through it and not only through it but out the other side to realize your dreams, which sounds uh, i don't i don't use a bad word but sounds like fantastical and uh, you know mad and uh, but that is the truth you here if you take the you know if you take these steps this is the book this is you will become you will come out of this terrible thing a better person yeah the play. Is effectively me finding out that the job that the job is gone, my boss saying, look, we're done with this here. Me going home telling my wife, I've lost my job, what am I gonna do now? Her suggesting therapy, me going to therapy, and then we sort of take a trip back in time to my childhood. My you know, I talk about my mother, I talk about things that happened in school that I was obsessed with, as in I mean, Ireland in the eighties was a very violent place for a child. We were second-class citizens, if even maybe third-class. Uh, we weren't really considered uh, important, you know. So there was a lot of. I was a, I was obsessed with the amount of kids I knew around me that died at a certain age. You know, I was at. A, I, I remember being a certain age and just thinking, everybody's fuck. Excuse my language. Everybody's dying here. Am I going to be next? And if you're Irish, you'll know that you go to bed every night and you you pray to God, you know, that if you die in your sleep, that, you know, he'll he'll take your soul. And like, I was going to sleep every night thinking I'm going to, I could die tonight. You know, that's the level of anxiety that I, that I now know Mm -hmm. I had, Uh, but I didn't at the time. I was just like, I didn't talk to anybody about the fact that I was freaked out that people died. There's one part in the play where I describe a friend of mine dying in my, literally in my arms his name was Barry and we were playing football and he just collapsed and I picked him up and I, I remember being in the yard and my knees wet and from, from the rain and somebody sort of tapped me on the shoulder and saying, we'll take it from here, son, you know, and being ushered into classrooms. The ambulance came and I remember, I remember sitting in the classroom doing fractions as I heard the sirens of the ambulance and nothing was ever spoken. No one ever, Talked about it. Oh there was no goodness. discussion about it. There was, you know, it was pre, you know, counselor coming in having a chat with everybody. I was just like, wow. "Oh, you poor thing." And even, you know, I I, I remember going to his funeral. I remember it was, it's and that remained with me. Like that was, of so it did. close to my yeah. in 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 my head. That was one of my stories that I had all the time. Like sure, and even little things like there was. A, you know, a fellow I knew, um, that I played hurling with, which is the national sport of Ireland. If you're listening to this, it's stick fighting basically. But this young lad, we played hurling under 14. We won county medals. We were a very successful team, and and I had moved away from that town. And I heard about this kid dying. He got knocked down, or it, it was it was a car accident. And I, I remember wanting to go back to the funeral, and feeling very bereft and very sad but nobody i just remember and i'm not this is not about blame this is just about how i felt i was like okay i, I remember saying to my parents i'm going to hitchhike i'm going to get I, I you know this is like you know 70 miles down the road back to the midlands from newbridge I was like, i'll hitchhike and she was like You're, my mother was like you can't hitchhike i can't bring you i'm working and you know that's all very but for me it was like i felt like i let him down it was all wrapped up in all that stuff But. Yeah. but but it just seemed to be a certain part of my life that these people were dying and I didn't didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to turn to and I carried all those dead people with me, you know, almost yeah. like ghosts, you know? Um, and that I talk a lot about that in the play and I talk about domestic violence in the house, which was commonplace in Ireland where corporal punishment was the done thing. Parents felt like that's the way you discipline a child, you, you hit them. Um, and that affected me greatly because, as it would... Because on one hand, my parents were quite good. Like they were, they were really good at making sure we had good clothes and a nice house. And we went to school and we were well fed and we had nice Christmases. And so it really jarred with that, this behavior.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm not saying that it was any more difficult for me than a child who wasn't looked after. And also, but just that was, these people were good
1: people. Mm, there was a juxtaposition. They were providers, but then there was a dearth of emotional need being met, um, or rather, uh, I suppose they were disciplining in a way that you couldn't make your peace with.
2: Yeah, and it's like I read recently about that underlying anger that a child feels towards a parent, and this doesn't have to be a parent who's abusive. This, This could be a parent who just isn't real with their child, who is living a role rather than living a role rather than being. So you're doing rather than being. Mm -hmm. And a child picks up on that. And that's, they don't know that they're frustrated and angry, but they are frustrated and angry because they're they're like, well, you're not present. You're not really here for me. You're there's something, there's a disconnect between us and I don't understand that. And I can't get past that. And that's something that I've been working on with my own son Mm -hmm. and have become aware of that disconnect and trying to bridge that gap between me and him, you know, and that's important. That's been important for me as well, yeah. and I think I'm getting there more with my daughter. Um, but that's more work that I that I've been doing as well with my son, just just being mm-hmm.
1: a uh, human being versus a human doing. Totally.
2: So the and the that's all. So the play is that it's it's my school years. It's my mother. There's a, there's a there's a very shocking moment where I where there's a, a, an instant where my mother puts tape on my mouth as a disciplinary measure. And and that even comes back to I remember saying to my therapist at one point, I said, it's crazy, isn't it? That I end up on the radio and my mother actually at one point, like put tape across my mouth. And I said, that's you know it was like it's meant to be. And he said, no, you're 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 putting those two things together and making them a thing. They're not a thing. They're separate. You've been on the radio is down to your hard work and, and and talent and all that kind of stuff. That is just a coincidence, a terrible coincidence, a terrible thing that happened to you. Yes. But they're separate because you do yes. that. You kind of go, oh, that's I'm, that must have been a reaction to this, and and almost like I was almost thankful for that happening because my response to that was to become a radio presenter. I know, I know. Whereas it was almost like allowed me to enjoy my own, uh, my own, what I, my own achievements as a radio presenter separate to what somebody else had done to me. That was kind, you know, and is it, it all those little things. So the play is a sort of a potted history of a period of my life, but jumping back to my traumas, then dealing with them. And then kind of, as I said, looking at my own wife and children and being, okay, this is where it's it's at. This is where it's at.
1: Absolutely. Oh Keith, I can't wait to see it. Um and and I'm I'm so interested at the uh, the truth and the um the essence with which you tell you share that piece about parenting, having been parented and parenting. And I suppose the pathogenesis, so that assets management within emotions where we can try to do the right thing, uh because, you know, but out of a, out of a negative mindset, because we think that will save us from other things. Versus when we get to the salutogenesis, we're doing the right thing from a really good mindset, just because we know it's better and because we can. And it's it's a lovely um, trajectory. And thank you for sharing so honestly and um, and in in such a very real way. I know that it, all of those stories are going to resonate with so many people. I'm reminded actually about a really good pal of mine. Um, who was in it. I I was an educator for 30 years and uh, this pal of mine is in education as well. And she talks about having gone to our local um, rural school and having had sellotape put on her mouth in school. So she was sitting on the chair as a junior infant and she would have to have her mouth sellotaped. She might have been a chatter at the time. I I'm quite sure she's a fantastic orator anyway and an expert in her field. I'm quite sure perhaps she was at that tender age, a great chatter as well. But imagine Mm.
2: the
1: the muting of a beautiful four-year-old child uh, for the purpose of quiet in a room. Isn't Mm. it just it's it's so abusive, so, so very abusive. And it just went under the radar, unspoken of. And people took those traumas as their subthreshold traumas on into their lives.
2: Mm. And there is. I also explore you know what my mother might have been going through to that she, how how did she end up in a position where she and um, did something like that or felt like that was the right thing to do because that's part of the story as well because she came from somewhere and not to, it, you know this is what i'm saying this is not about blame it's about un, un, it's entanglement it's just going okay hang on a second let's just see where all this is coming from sure. and I would take great pride in being that person that stops the generational trauma and tries not to pass it on. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's, that's an important job. And if I, for anybody listening to this, who, you know, might be at that age that they're thinking of starting a family or, or whatever, it'll be that person that says, I'm going to, the, the, the generation trauma stops here. I'm going to deal with my trauma because that's how it stops. That's how yeah. you, That's how you, you you know, and you're doing your, you're doing your your family a favor. You're doing the generations before. Of course we are. And we're
1: doing our very best with the wisdom and knowledge we have at any given time. And again, then I'm prompted to commend you for that reference to your mum and how as part of your healing, you're willing to realize that hurt people hurt people. And whilst you wouldn't have known that at the time when we chatted the last time, I know you were engaged by that little part of our conversation more than anything, where we talked about the fact that because as a therapist, I'm very, very aware of people's stories. And it's it's very much the same story uh, with a different cover on the book, Keith, really from person to person, um, because we all have that story in our background and we've all had to all intents and purposes, now obviously to differing degrees, the adverse childhood experiences. But there is room within our story for the fact that it is our story because that's how we responded to our universe and to our environment. Another person in our family at the time might have responded differently to the same environment. That's very emancipating. And I can hear that in your storyline as well, where the phoenix is rising from the ashes for you because you have this growth mindset. It happened. It was traumatic. And that threshold that you had to cross when you finished with the radio show, rather than see it as a, dark, you know, a gateway into a dark dungeon, you decided, look, I'm going to get the cobwebs out of the way here and I'm going to let the light in. You mm. know, and it is in the cracks that the light gets in.
2: Yeah, totally. It was like I definitely I don't know how there was somewhere in that in the darkness and the misery and whatever. As I thought, this has to be this has to be an opportunity. There has to be an opportunity. There has to be something in this like and, you know, whether it was whether it was me being practical and thinking I need to get something from this. It's that was helpful. That was helpful enough to get me to 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 where I needed to get to. Um, And and I have to mention the thing that because we spoke about, was it over a month ago now? And it really helped me how you described, because I talked about my mother and not, I don't really talk to my mother at the moment, which um, which which I've which is just something I've decided. It's not, you know, but I was kind of feeling a little bit guilty. And I, and I love the way you described, um, I don't know how you put it, but it was almost like, you know, because people use very uh, final, finite, uh, you know, um, harsh language, like you're cutting someone off or you're, you know, you're cutting someone out of your life. And mm-hmm. the way you described it was just a slight turning of... Turn
1: your centre
2: away. <laughs> turn your centre yeah, away.
1: Just turn your centre away.
2: And that's... I just... I think that all the time. And I, yeah. if I ever feel like... If there's ever sort of a like a, a guilt or whatever, I'm just like, no, this is just like I'm... I'm, yeah. My centre is somewhere else now. And yeah. that's, you know, well, it's not...
1: That's
2: it. Other people have to deal with other things and, and themselves. And I just... This is just... And I, I just love it. I love... It's just... I don't know how to describe... What it did for me, but it was just a very simple little tool that, that I that I have taken with me, put into my back pocket.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to know that. You see, um, when it's very possible to stonewall, very possible to stonewall because we're human and. We can have a reaction again when we're in our limbic system that we really have no power over because we're not accessing our thinking brain, so we're not being the best of ourselves. And you can stonewall and stomp away and you know make your presence felt by not turning up and you can make your presence felt by being naughty and nasty and using language or by just having an energy that's very um, exclusive. And what does that serve? It doesn't serve anything, it hurts you more. You're holding the fireball in your hand to throw but you've burned your own hands before you even get to make that first throw forward. Mm. And I just think it's so lovely to, when you realize that you can't in a particular moment, heal something or even add anything to the moment that's going to lead into the healing, then what you can very actively do and very positively do is just turn your center away, which means that you're not empowering this dysfunction of another and You're not stuck in that prison that is guilt because guilt is a prison, you know, and it's it's it feels like a prison and you're looking out through those bars. It's very hurtful and very alienating. And this is not meant to be a valley of tears. So it's a lovely thing to just learn how to turn your center away. And that means that when the healing time can come and does come, it's very easy to just turn your center back in again Mm -hmm. and engage at whatever level is going to be helpful and healing and hopeful and positive. And there will come a time when you can look at your life through the lens of your future, even regarding all of those stories without having to look back and recount them. Because every time we tell our story, any story, we tell it differently. Every single time you pull it out of the hippocampus, it's a different version of the same story because you tell it then from your vantage point of that moment. So it's a lovely little pocket of wisdom um, to have with you in all walks of life. I think hugely, as you suggest, though, Keith, regarding generational trauma and doing our very best as individuals to bring an end to the passing on and of past hurts.
2: Mm. And even more recent stuff like, the, you know, a job being taken away from you. I didn't need to stay angry with those people. I just needed to turn my center away. You know, it's it's a very simple sort of like they're over there doing their thing. I don't need to, to got nothing to do with me. And I'm, I'm, I've got, you know, great stuff going on here that I'm focused on. And that's where, you know, when I go back to vulnerability, that's where things like, you know, uh, uh, being grateful and, uh, Focusing on the positive. Sure. You know, it, that's all that comes in then, you know, and, and that's all. I just think I just think the vulnerability is the key that opens all of that stuff to you, you know.
1: I agree with you. Breen Brown says that vulnerability is the willingness to show up and be seen, although you have no control over the outcome. So even as you suggest regarding your colleagues um, and there being no need to continue the annoyance with them, really, you can make it not your business that's a great thing to do just make it not your business because it isn't anymore it's mm. theirs and it says way more about what they needed to do from the running of their business at the time than it does about you the person yeah. because look what you've done you have literally used um your strengths based approach to life to embark on so many other fabulous aspects of your creative self not least carding with keith so wasn't that the wasn't that the least likely other business that might have grown out of this time?
2: Totally, because it's 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 not a thing. It's not something I've never seen it before. I don't know what I'd never I do believe that art is used with in therapy and it can be helpful to draw and 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 you know I've I've learned that since. But I one of the things that I loved to do, and I actually studied after um, uh, school, and I did well in school with art, you know, so I did well in my leaving with art, I always loved it, I went to college and did a year of graphic design, and so that was one of the, so writing and drawing were two of the things that I got back to and drawing like, I always doodled you know, I mean, people can't see this, but this is a page that I would have down and I would just be writing and drawing all the time, and you, you can see that, I'm always doodling, it's always it's just a thing, so I started drawing and I started creating these cards and they were funny and they were witty. So I was using my own humor and my my art skills or whatever. And, and I started selling cards as, you know, to pay the mortgage. This was like just something practical yet again. I said, well, actually this I can sell these and, and pay the mortgage because I don't have a job at the moment. And it it went very well. And I I paid the mortgage and I was able to say to my wife, look, I'm gonna do this and I I can be at home and I can work on myself and I can do whatever I need to do. Um, rehearse for the play and draw cards and sell them. And, and and it just, it just, it was weird. It just, it landed on me. Skyrocketed, yeah. But, but but also it just came to me. It just, yeah. It, I don't want to get too, but it was like I, I left the space open for it to arrive, you know, almost, you know, I, I even hear myself saying things like that and I, I can't believe I'm saying it. But, and, and then I was, I went back to Luke, my therapist and I said, look, I think there's something in this. Like, I find this very therapeutic. People are always talking about mindfulness, meditation, the, you know, whatever. And I was saying this, me sitting down and drawing and creating these cards. And, and my, my drawing is very simplistic. It's not difficult. It's a house and a man and a and a field and a flower. And it's, you know, it's like clouds. And I, I was saying I find this very therapeutic. I think that this could be a way of showing people what mindfulness is. People who can't quite grasp it, you know?
1: Absolutely. Uh,
2: You know, you can tell somebody what mindfulness is all day long and they will go away going, don't really know what he was talking about. I know what he was talking about, but I can't grasp it. So when I'm so I invent so I invented this thing called carding with Keith and I, I you know I bounced off Luke with it because he's a trained therapist and he gave me the the okay and the ticks well that's right and that's good and you need to do this and use that and you know so we have these we have a, a sort of a check in at the start and then we have a check out at the end and we make sure everyone's okay and all that kind of stuff and it's just a it's just a time to hang out and we draw cards. And I send out these packs in advance. You, you receive this, these beautiful, this beautiful Italian card, cards and these lovely pens that I use because that's all tactile and nice. Yes, and it yes. feels like you, when you have things that are nice and they're for you as an adult, you know, the colors are lovely. I use these lovely soft coloring pencils and vibrant colors. And, and we talk about all that because so you get your pack. And you've got your lovely Italian card, and you've got your colors, and you've got your pens, and we talk about that, and we talk about how nice it is to draw and how lovely it feels when you use the pen, and lovely with the soft pencil coloring it in. And we really get into it. And then we draw these cards, and we come up with a design, and we make three cards. And each card is for something else. So one card is about gratitude. So you write a note in that card. This card is for somebody. That you are grateful for or it can be abstract yes maybe you were grateful for covid or something because it offered you something you know it uh, uh, offered you space or something it can be abstract it can be ireland it can be the weather it can be somebody that you're grateful for thank you so much for being there for me that's and there's so we, we create one card we write a note to something or someone and that's gratitude the next one then is i call forgiveness but it's loose you can forgive yourself you can forgive someone else you can decide not to forgive somebody whatever it is you know you can just you can, maybe you could write and say I'm turning my center away from you at the moment but that's just a time to think about somebody maybe you've fallen out with maybe tease that out think about it write a note to them or write a note to yourself to forgive yourself for falling out with them yeah. and remind yourself of the reason you're not talking to them so that's your forgiveness card you don't have to give these cards to anybody Absolutely. you can if you you can if you want but you can just burn them or you know, keep them in a drawer, your sock drawer where, where I keep all my stuff that nobody ever finds, I'm sure. Like, We're going to find
1: it now, Keith.
2: <laughs> and then the final one is a card and that's about self-love and that is a card that you write and, and I and I, I do it with adults but I do it with kids as well and with the kids I say, just write down three things that you like about yourself yeah. that you're good at, that you think, yeah, I'm good and write those, that's about you and how great you are and all that kind of stuff. And to adults as well, think about what you're what you like about yourself and say thanks to yourself thanks for being this thanks for doing that whatever it is you're a good dad you're a good husband whatever you need to say to yourself to remind yourself because so that is as important as you know being being grateful as probably more important it probably starts with self love that should be the first card and you've got your three cards as i said you don't have to give them any, anybody we do that for about an hour and a half i talk about my experience with therapy you know so as we're coloring and drawing i'm talking about you know trying to be present I'm talking i'm saying look you know at one point when we're all quiet and we're all coloring and you know you get cuz it's a zoom call and i kind of ask people if there's no noise going on you can leave your mics open that's fine you know so we're all just like, it goes quiet and everyone's just like drawing and color. and i'll just be able to say this is mindfulness this is is meditation, this is it, this is is it now. So whenever you feel like things are getting on top of you and and it really works with the kids. I'm like, when you're in the house and people are annoying you, you know, driving you mad and you just want to kick somebody, you can take yourself off and you can take your pencils and some paper and you can draw and you'll find space. You'll find enough space for yourself to deal with everything after that. And that's carding with Keith. And I do it on Zoom and you can, you know, you can f- follow me on Instagram or you can email me. I can give you my email address uh, and we can, we, we'll set you up. I do with adults, try and do it once a month, every five or six weeks over Easter, I did three of them with kids. We had about 60 kids online, separate classes, and, and they were great. I loved it. Keith, them.
1: I hope you can clone yourself after this interview because this is an absolutely mind-blowing philosophy. It's amazing. And I hope that you are going to be able to get software to get this recorded and available to so many people. You couldn't possibly, I'd say, be present on all of the spaces that are you're going to be required to be on after this because mm. that is absolutely amazing you have, I don't think you realize uh, the gift that is in that process that you're offering people and it it very much you know you're 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 very humble really because you definitely did less to achieve more in that early stage but out of a very um a very aware mindset really there was that you clearly You know, you had been in a winter for a long time, but spring was just bursting to get out. Mm -hmm. And as soon as COVID hit and you had had that experience, you have used it to heal yourself very, very quickly, all things considered, because you chose to be the healed best version of yourself. And very quickly, that former personality trait in you that was the people pleaser or looking for your next high. You've you've turned that around now. you flipped it around to share. You you said quite giddily that when you get a new interest in something, you want to tell everybody. But look what you've done with this as well. That carding with Keith idea and using it to do gratitude, forgiveness, and self-love. I mean, really and truly, self-care is the most selfless thing that you can possibly do. And the ripple effect is huge. And when people pay attention to that, you're right. That is mindfulness in motion. That's mindfulness and creativity and there's nothing better. You know,
2: because I, it, it, I, I would say to the kids, I say, have you heard the word mindfulness? Because they talk about it in school and and it's it's so easy to you're just this is what it is. You're, it's you're it's in you're doing it. Yeah. And then then something in their head just goes, ah, it's when I'm doing something I'm so into it that I'm not thinking about anything else.
1: Of course, when I'm present, when I'm present rather than allowing the reflexive thoughts to pull me into that toxic space, which is going to bring my mood down. And perhaps then after the activating agent creates a pattern match and I think negatively, so I do something that isn't the best of myself, then I'm in a downward spiral rather getting into your conscious self, getting busy and just practicing that, so you can downregulate your amygdala, downregulate that uh, sense of danger in your environment. Keith, we have come to the end of our show, and I'm so Aww. sad. Oh, I know, but I, I listen. We could chat forever. You are an absolutely amazing person, concept, um, regrowth, revival, recovery, and thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing with such honesty. Thank you for your vulnerability, and thank you for reminding us that there is nothing weak in vulnerability. Getting in touch with your vulnerability is actually probably the strongest thing that you will ever do in life. And mm. I know that you'll have touched so many lives, Keith, in this interview, but also when people make contact with you, which I know they will, and I'm going to put the, the links for all of those platforms we referenced into the show notes. And it remains only to thank you from the bottom of my heart on everybody's behalf. It has been an absolute pleasure and may you continue to grow Uh, into your wholeness and uh, continue connecting with the universal one because you're an absolutely amazing person thank you so very much thanks sheila thank you guys and gals i'm reminded of um a quote by confucius who was a great chinese philosopher and he said that if you choose a job you love you will never have to work a day in your life and i'm just listening to keith's story here and i'd like to remind all of you please to do your very best, to be good to yourselves and involve yourselves on a daily basis in something that gives you meaning and purpose. And therein, you will always be able to access your wholeness. Tune in every Wednesday to Hole in One with Sheila. Remember, guys, you can't go back and rewrite the beginning of the story of your life, but you can pick up at any time and change the ending. Bye for now. Slånga go
0: fóil. Thank you again for joining us for Hole in One. Please join your host, Sheila E. Hirine for another edition of this amazing program next Wednesday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we meet again, remember no matter the question, love is the answer. You've got this.